This is a test of the emergency broadcast system. In five. Check for sound. Four. It's showtime. Three. Let's two, go. One. Thanks to Rode Microphones and Harlan Hogan's VoiceOverEssentials.com, the home of the Portabooth Pro. This is the Pro Audio Suite podcast with Robert Marshall from Source Elements and Someone Audio Post Chicago. Darren Robbo Robertson from Voodoo Radio Imaging Sydney. From LA, George the Tech Whitam, the Tech to the VO Stars, and me, Andrew Peters, voiceover talent and home studio guy. This week we have a special guest, a very special guest indeed. I won't go through his background. You can do that by looking at his website, bobbergen.com. But he is the voice of Porky Pig, the one and only Bob Bergen. How are you, Bob? This is pro. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just checking. This is pro audio suite. I want people to know what we went through to get to this. Because everybody listening, you owe a lot of money to all of us. Well, hold on. Exactly. Hold on. The gear is pro. The software is pro. Unfortunately, the operator apparently is not. So, <laughs> and, 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 that's, and that's, that's how we roll. Mm-hmm. That's yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> on a serious note, though, I saw a, a petition of yours or a petition you've put forward to SAG-AFTRA, um, which is about uh, getting non-union and FICOR people to get more inclusive into the union itself and uh, sort of bringing the union into the 21st century. Just to give us a bit of background, can you, can you tell us what you're trying to achieve here and what you're actually doing? Well, it goes back many years. Um, the The voiceover industry used to be owned by L.A., New York, and Chicago. And then we had this thing called the Internet, which uh, brought the, uh, the voiceover industry across the world on a silver modem. And everybody found out about it except for the union. And for, the, for years, <laughs> I was trying to warn the union, hey, guys, the work is going away. Now, I can tell you the first time I ever taught a workshop outside of L.A. was in St. Louis. And I remember telling my class, I teach animation voiceover. I remember telling my class, you know, animation is union. And they had a look of fear and dread on their face. I'm like, what's the problem? And they're like, well, we don't get any union worker auditions. And I'm like, well, get over it. Animation is union. And they were really depressed. And they said, we don't want to work union. And I said, well, you don't want to work union. I mean, we don't make a living on session fees. We, we make a living on residuals and we work towards a pension and health benefits. It has nothing to do with session fees. And I was talking a foreign language and I went back to the union and I uh, explained to the powers that be what was going on. I was speaking a foreign language to them. And this has been going on for years. And over the last 20 years, 50 to 80% of voiceover has gone non-union. Now, animation has stayed union. And the reason is because of celebrities and the fact that it is a scale business. So I might be working on a cartoon series sitting next to a major celebrity getting scale plus 10. And the reason they take scale plus 10 is because it's really cool to do cartoons. And the producers have uh, celebrities at their disposal. So cartoons are going to stay union. It's the rest of the industry that has gone non-union. And agents and casting directors and actors throughout the country have been begging and pleading with the union to do something about this. And because the powers that be of the union are oblivious to what's going on because they're stuck in the union bubble, this has been happening behind their back they're not ignoring it. It's not like something that they're going, yeah, that's happening, but we'll, we'll pretend like it's not. They literally don't know about it because they are invested in CBS, HBO, Amazon, Universal Pictures, Paramount. They're not invested in the day-to-day that is voiceover. So what I tried to do with this petition is to get the industry, the workers, the agents, the casting directors, the actors' attention and to get the union's attention and say, guys, we got one opportunity here. We need the non-union community more than they need us. They have created a faster and easier business model. Ours is antiquated and it's clunky. It's sort of like this. Here's how I compare it. 
the non-union voiceover hiring process is Amazon, and we at the union are uh, Barnes and Noble. We are brick and mortar. So the world who hires voiceover talent is going to want the ease and the speed of Amazon, and they're not going to need or want to get on the freeway, drive to the brick and mortar bookstore and stand in line and go on the second or third floor and ask, where can I find this voice talent? The voiceover industry works at the speed of a mouse click in the non-union world. And in the union world, it can take days to get a question answered from the union. So we need to fix that. And that was my attempt with this petition. It's interesting because the first time we met Bob was probably about eight years ago, I think. And I was over there talking about the same thing, but it was more to do with the way castings were done online. I met with the union and they were kind of oblivious to any of this stuff and didn't really see it was relevant to them anyway. And then, of course, things started to unravel as far as the um, the traditional way of casting and online basically took over. And unfortunately, the online version of casting is not union and therein lies a major problem. A lot of things happened. It started because... Online voiceover casting coincided with the commercial strike of 2000. So we go on strike and we have these online companies contacting advertising agencies going, hey, you know those people who are on strike? To hell with them. Have I got actors for you? Now, the non-union voiceover community had ISDN, Source Connect, Home Studios well before we did. So they were equipped. They were ready to go. And and when I when I got into the business in 1978, non-union meant not really good, unprofessional, not really talented. Today, it just means we don't need the union. We're thriving without it. Now, what the union does not understand is the business model day-to-day of the non-union actor because the work... Sometimes pays well, and sometimes it doesn't. So let's play devil's advocate. Let's talk about the non-union actors' day. At nine o'clock, they book a job for fifty bucks. At eleven o'clock, three fifty. At one o'clock, seven fifty. At three o'clock, two thousand. At the end of the day, they've made anywhere between two and three thousand dollars. Now the union will say, "Well, none of that pays residuals. These are people who never." expected residuals, nor do they relate to the ideal of residuals. The union will say, well, this doesn't pay into your health benefits. The non-union world buys private health care because they consider themselves the service industry. They consider themselves working class Americans who have to buy their own health care. The union will say, well, this doesn't pay into your pension. The non-union world has investments with Merrill Lynch or whomever, and they they save and invest for their for their future. We are 20 years into what I call the e-generation of voiceover. And 20 years, uh, four years as a generation in the world of show business. It's the four years of college. 20 years is five generations. We are five generations in of ad agencies, producers, corporations, and actors who have figured out a faster and easier way to do it. They now own the majority of the voiceover industry. What does that mean? It means that the union has to do something, figure out something to bring these people back. What is that? Well, my proposal is... I'm going to backtrack a little bit. It's very complicated, you guys, and I appreciate you, 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 you hearing me out. We had a merger of these two unions several years ago. There was AFTRA and there was SAG. The majority of the people who work in voiceover union joined via Legacy AFTRA. To join Legacy AFTRA, all it took was a desire and a check. To join Legacy SAG, it took qualifying. When these two unions merged, the new union SAG-AFTRA took on Legacy SAG's qualifications, which meant you have to qualify to join. Here's the problem in the, with the world of voiceover. Number one, most voice actors joined through Legacy AFTRA. Number two, after 20 years, the work has eroded to the point where across the country, people see perhaps one to two union auditions a month 
and 20 to 30 non-union auditions a day. They don't see enough auditions to even qualify to join SAG-AFTRA, let alone honor Global Rule 1, which says you may not work non-union. So my proposal is a five-year plan where once an actor says, yes, I'm in, may join SAG-AFTRA without the current qualifications. All they need is, I want to work union. They pay $50 a month for five years until their $3,000 initiation is paid for. During those five years, they may continue with their thriving non-union buyers. The problem is we can't ask these people to give up their non-union existence because some of them are making five and six figures and more. What we do ask of them is, please, if you're comfortable, let the union know who your non-union buyers are so we can try to organize them. What the union doesn't know and what a lot of non-union actors don't know is that oftentimes a non-union job pays enough to cover scale, pension, and health. If that's the case, we need to create a system where booking a union actor is as fast and easy as it is to book a non-union actor, and the buyer has no idea that a portion of their fee is going to pension and health. We have to take the heavy lifting away from the, from the buyer. There can be no more paperwork, no more unreturned phone calls, and no more... Look, voiceover works at the speed of a mouse click. You've got to be able to hire a, a union voiceover talent as fast and as easy as it is to order something from Amazon. And if we can't do that, we have to accept that voiceover is a non-union industry and that those who work scale plus 10 at union voiceover, who used to be called the blue collar working class actor, are now the elite. The issue, uh, what I, I find with uh, the American system, which actually puzzled me when I first heard about it, was the above-line costs. I mean, you talk about scale plus 10. Um, a scale plus 10 plus another one point, uh, 10, uh, 16%. So a $1,000 job actually works out to be 1260 Is that correct? I think it's 18.5%, but I have, to, I have to look it up. Wouldn't it be easier just to have a, a one set figure? Then, you know, like there's the figure and everything is worked out below line and then it's no shock to the buyer? You're absolutely right. And here's the problem. With our union, you get singers, sitcom actors, soap actors, game show hosts, drama, everything that goes with being a sag after member. Our problem is the voiceover industry has, because of technology, has changed the landscape. To adjust the union just for voiceover actors is an incredibly difficult feat. Voiceover actors think the union is just about voiceover actors. Soap actors think it's just about soap actors. You can't change one thing where it doesn't affect other contracts. And the reason why this is a tough sell to the union is because it's going to trickle down to other contracts. Now, logic will tell you, well, yeah, perhaps that's a necessary adjustment. The bottom line is, If we do nothing, it's just going to continue eroding. 20 years ago, I started asking agents and casting directors and actors around the country, how much of your work is non-union and how is the union failing you? And the answers were consistent. First of all, an agent 20 years ago was calling the union saying, hey guys, my work, my union work is eroding. What can we do? Nobody returns their phone calls. Nobody returns their emails. I'll go one step further. I met with a guy who started Voice 123. He wanted that to be a union casting website, but the union wanted nothing to do with him. So he started it on his own, and then we went on strike, and then he he thrived. The bottom line is the union is failing left and right because they're stuck in a bubble. 5757 Wilshire Boulevard is the address of SAG-AFTRA in Los Angeles. Those who work, volunteer, lead, within the union are stuck in the union bubble and oblivious, oblivious to the fact that non-union actors are actually making a living at non-union voiceover. What do you think about rates, though, when you're talking about union and non-union? In, I know a lot of cases that non-union work 
actually gets paid more than union, but generally it doesn't. Is there a way of working out a rate card that's going to actually attract the non-union work into the union and then be turned into a union gig? That is a fight for another day. All I want to do right now is bring the non-union actor into the union fold, allow them to keep their non-union buyers, but give them the opportunity to work union. So my goal is this. So we have an organizing department at SAG-AFTRA where they will take the occasional, oh my God, here is an entity and they're non-union, let's try to organize them. And they may or may not be successful. What I'd like to do is have an organizing department who Monday through Friday from nine to six every single day is taking buyer after buyer after job after job and continuously organizing to the point and and, and in a way where the buyer doesn't even know it's happening. The rate is a whole separate topic. We have to bring the work back to the union. What will this do? We are living right now in a dire situation at SAG-AFTRA. It's very complicated, but work with me here. Our pension and health trustees are a different entity from SAG-AFTRA's board of directors. The pension and health trustees recently adjusted their plan to where seniors who are vested in their pension, once they're retired, it used to be that SAG-AFTRA paid their copay if they had Medicare. And they just adjusted that to where you have to qualify for SAG-AFTRA to pay your copay and your residuals do not count towards that copay. That's new. Now, voiceover is 50 to 80% non-union. Imagine if 50% of that work was still union, where the millions of dollars of union voiceover was still paid into the P&H fund, where actors who had never been members of SAG-AFTRA, all of a sudden, they were paying, I mean, hundreds and hundreds of actors paying $3,000 to join, paying their dues annually based on their, their union paying income. These actors qualifying for a pension credit. These actors qualifying for health care. We've had staff fired at SAG-AFTRA because so much of the work has gone non-union the revenue's not there. Committees aren't working right now. Committees aren't meeting right now because they can't afford to have staff oversee this, these meetings. The union is falling apart because they have no revenue. COVID is a huge factor in this. Here's the irony. Voiceover is the only genre of acting that continued during COVID. Had we not eroded 50 to 80% of the voiceover industry, this revenue would have been flowing into the union. Pension, health, residuals. Our staff would be employed. And the sad thing is, we let this happen. We let this happen because historically, the union has not had a very good vision of the future. And and I'm not just the union. I can't just blame the union. Historically, the entertainment industry did not see the future. And I've, I posted this online and I'm going to say it here. Vaudeville was made obsolete by silent movies. Silent movies were made obsolete by sound. Motion pictures were made obsolete by television. Network TV, and obsolete's a bad word. I should say the word disrupted. All of these were disrupted. Network TV was disrupted by cable and then streaming. Here's the big difference with all of these disruptions since the advent of the performers union, everything stayed union for the performers until the internet affected voiceover and voiceover 20 years ago with the disruption of the internet became non-union and the union didn't know what to do because the union had never experienced something as powerful as the internet and we're living it today. And my proposal, which by the way, I've been working on for 20 years, I proposed it officially over six years ago. It was approved by two committees two years ago and it is just now getting 
a little bit of attention because of my petition. If you can imagine seven years, eight years, where we could have stopped and reversed this erosion, how our seniors might not have been damaged by the adjustments in their pension and health, I blame the union. I blame the union because they are stuck in an antiquated, outdated business model. And what's interesting about this, and forgive me for talking so much, but I was the guy 20 years ago who, if I had a crystal ball, would look at me today and say, that's not me. I would never say any of that because union is the way to go. I am going to be 57 years old in a few weeks. I am vested in my pension. When I'm 65, I'm going to have a $10,000 a month pension. I'm still going to work. I, I work in union voiceover. I'm lucky. This is not for me. This is for my fellow actors, beginner, and the future of this industry. And if this doesn't happen, then the actors have no one to blame but the union for allowing it to erode for 20 years and not doing anything about it. Interestingly, um, you talk about the union, and it is true. Um, As you know, when we first met, I was trying to get a union casting site up myself. Um, Unfortunately, that didn't work too well. But uh, the other thing that I thought that they were really, really backward and just not thinking was the power of the home studio. You tried pitching that one in, and, um, you know, that was another one that they missed. Well, here's the deal. Again, it's technology. Now, they're dealing with it with on-camera, because on-camera actors now have to do self-taping at home, and this is before COVID. So you tried. You tried really, really, really hard, and God bless you for trying, and boy, were you patient. But you're dealing with an entity that doesn't like the idea of change, and their answer to everything is, it's always worked this way. Well, you know what? It's not. Look, go back to 1940, 1950 SAG, where, I mean, let's talk before television. If the motion picture actors went on strike, the entire town shut down. We now have a union where if motion pictures, TV theatrical is on strike, voiceover still works. If voiceover animations on strike, voiceover commercials still work. If voiceover commercials are on strike, soap operas still work. The only way a strike works is if the entire union shuts down. And years ago, the union agreed to stagger the contracts and to not honor separate strikes, which means you got to keep working if if your contract is not on strike. Once we did that, we lost the leverage. Yeah, I I can relate to a number of things that that, that that you brought up. I mean, I've talked to a lot of voice talent who, just in COVID, are essentially new to Source Connect, and when talking to them, they're like, "Well, yeah, I mean, I live in Manhattan, and all my clients are agencies, and I just go to the studio, like, uh, and it was sort of like this thing, like the riffraff use Source Connect, <laughs> and." And it's like, oh, like, I guess, you know. The non-union world embraced ISDN and Source Connect way before we did. Listen, in March, L.A. shut down. And I was working on six series, four animated features, games, promos. I was busy. Within two weeks, I was up and running. That was a necessity for me. Animation is, for all intents and purposes, an ensemble industry. Features, yeah, you work by yourself, but they they take two to five years depending on your role. Episodic animation, you go to a studio and you are in a room with as many cast members as are available that day. Actors work off of actors. Today, well, it's everything from recording just on Twisted Wave and sending the file to Source Connect to Connection Open to I'm looking at the rest of my cast on, on Zoom or recording on Zoom or recording on Skype. Here's the thing, guys. Between March 11th and April 1st, the entire animation voiceover community adapted to keep going. And in 20 years, SAG-AFTRA has not adapted to the entire voiceover industry. How is it that the actors individually in just one contract can do this, but the entire union cannot for the entire industry? Where does Financial Core fit into this? FICOR was a wonderful aversion to going non-union for many, many years. When I got into the business, before the internet, where FICOR meant 
you are an asshole. And and the agents thought this, and the producers thought this, and the casting directors thought this, and the fellow actors thought this, and here's why. If you were FICOR, it meant you are an opportunist. You're going for the best of both worlds. You're working on a non-union something, where that non-union something, if union, would pay into the P&H pool, possibly pay residuals. And what you're doing is perpetuating actors not making health benefits or pension just by taking that one job. Because if enough people go FICOR and enough people take all those jobs, we can say goodbye to our pension and health. Well, what are we living today? FICOR is not an issue. We've got half the country that is right to work. We have an internet, this technical wonder that has gone across the country and brought voiceover to individuals who don't need the union because they're right to work. And those who were union went FICOR because they thought it was the honorable choice. It's a legal federal government choice rather than working off the card, doing it behind closed doors. Now, here's something else. We have a show called South Park. Go to, go to IMDb and look at the list of celebrities who have done South Park. That's a non-union show. Really? So how do the celebrities get away with doing that? Because the union doesn't do anything to celebrities. Yeah, ask Elton John. I love you, Elton John. You're my favorite. There's a list of celebrities you will see on the IMDb page of South Park. And when I brought this up to the union and I, and I was on the board, their answer to me was, well, we don't know if those names are accurate. Maybe they're using those names on IMDb for, for publicity because we don't have data on non-union work. Look. Here's the deal. If they don't know South Park is non-union, how are they aware that 50 to 80% of the entire industry is non-union? The union is stuck in the union bubble and the union works great if you're on Young Sheldon, if you're on 911, if you're on This Is Us, if you are on something major. But voiceover, day-to-day, e-learning, narration, promos, commercials, it's not what they call major. It is what they call, what we call how you make a living as a voice actor. So how do you think uh, a union uh, casting site would work? Do you think it would work now? A site that only hires union will. If you attracted those people onto a site that only has union work, even though they're working off that site doing their non-union stuff, they're probably going to have a few union jobs dangled under their nose. Do you think that would work? I'd have to see it in action. The bottom line is a union job, the hiring of a union actor has to be done with one click. It has to be as simple and fast as it is to hire non-union or just to, to buy a bunch of soap on Amazon. And Why the buyer, do buyers want to buy non-union? You know, it's like, the, it's true that since 2000, the non-union talent pool has greatly improved. We're five generations into a non-union group of buyers who've never worked union. And they've got a plethora of non-union talent and agents and casting directors to work with. So, Right. So given that field, would, what attracts them back to become like we'll be a signatory to the union? It's not them. It's us. Because that same job pays enough. And they don't even know it usually, but that job pays enough to pay, to pay at least scale, pension health, a SIG, and a paymaster. And it's up to the union to figure out a process where the buyer is unaware that their job has now turned to union. So in that case, it's is there the bu- a We're not- signature status where they can't hire anybody except for union status? Or is that idea go... Absolutely not. Absolutely not. We can't do that. That, that, that is the old way of doing this. Yeah. We have okay. to do... We have to create a system where a buyer who has a budget that covers everything without their knowing, we got we to gotta allow the actor to do this. We got to allow the actor to report the whole job to the union and let the union-sanctioned paymaster and SIG do it. It used to be where an actor could be their own SIG. And they took that away because actors were creating fake jobs just to make benefits. Well, what that did was it punished everybody. So you don't, they didn't just go after the actors who were, who, were, who were bucking the system. They made it so everybody couldn't create a signatory or paymaster to take a job. And I've done it. Listen, here's what happened to me. Years ago, I had a company 
that came to me. I'll say the name of the company, Hallmark. Hallmark wanted to come to me to do a talking porky pig Christmas ornament. And I'll be very honest with you guys. My day rate at the time was $5,000 a gig. And they said, oh, we'll pay, we'll pay your day rate. We just don't want to deal with the union. And I said, why? Well, they don't return the phone calls. The paperwork is clunky. It's, it's, it's confusing. It takes too long. They're not good with customer service. And I said, I will find your paymaster. I will find your SIG. I will do all the heavy lifting. And they said, nope, sorry, we don't want to do it. And I said, I can't do it non-union. I'm too high profile. A few months later, they came back to me and they said, look, Warner Brothers said there's nobody else we can use. We have to use you. So we've decided to do it union. Oh, but we're only paying you scale now. So I went back to the union and I said, you guys, because of your clunky infrastructure and me being loyal to you, cost me over $4,000. Please tell me how you're protecting me. But why, why do they have to? This is the thing that confuses me. I don't understand why they don't allow a union agent to do their own paymastering. Because they risk the agent double dipping and, and an agent does not physically pay us. An agent takes the salary of an actor and we give them a check authorization to take their commission and then pay us. An agent can't be a paymaster. You don't want your agent to be also be your employer. Oh my God, you don't want that. Well, it's funny because that's how it works here, though. Yeah, but that doesn't work here. No way. Uh, uh-uh. I would never want my agent to also be my employer. No way. No way. They're not actually the employer, but they uh, book the gig and then they chase the money and they take their commission and send you your portion. Well, our agents do that also, but they're not. They're not a paymaster. See, this is this is the question I have, and something as an Australian audio engineer who books voice talent, I have never understood. Why is, why is all the union stuff added on afterwards? Why aren't I just given a price to come and read the your regular The same reason why you have to tip your waiter. Several reasons. Because first, number one, transparency. They want to make see, see what, where is the money going. Number two, different amounts go to different places. So we have an agreement with the AMPTP, the producers, that we have collective bargained agreements with, that this percentage goes to pension, this percentage goes to health, this goes to the SIG, this goes to the paymaster, this goes to the actor. It's checks and balances. If there's only one check, how do you have checks and balances? How do you, who divvies it up? See, I I guess the the way I see it here is we have union voice talent who pay to join the union and have the protections provided by the union, but then they have their agent and their agent charges me a price. I pay their agent that price and they- So, they so what does your agent charge you? Uh, what does your agent I don't know, charge AP, you? what's yours charge you? Uh, it depends if they're management or an agent. Most of them now call themselves management so they can charge 12 to 15, some even more, but usually that's about it. Does an agent charge the talent 10 or does the agent charge yes. the buyer 10? I, I get given a rate card and that's all I pay. The, the agent right. then so, does divvies up what I've paid them. And this is what I don't understand because to me, if, if I'm trying to book someone and I'm working your way, it's all a pain in the ass and really confusing. Whereas I just get a price from scout management or whoever and go, go to my client and go, bang, this is what it's going to cost you. Okay, so the way it works here, for the majority of... Um, we're talking voiceover only because on camera is a whole different world. In voiceover, I pay my agent. I, I, get, I, get, I get my salary, my fee, plus 10. I don't pay out of my pocket. The, the buyer pays my agent plus 10. In the non-union world, the actor pays 10% out of their fee and the buyer pays the agent an additional 10% or 20, depending on the agent. And that is against union rules. So one of the luxuries of being a union actor is plus 10. See, with uh, the, the system here, what, what would happen if I, if I did a job for $1,000, uh, that's the rate on the rate card, then my agent would take out the $120 for their 12%, and then I get the balance of $880. And I would get, if, a, if, a, if $1,000 was scale, I would be paid 1100 and my agent would keep $100. Yeah, same thing, really. And, and by the way, 18.5% for pension, health, signature, paymaster, et cetera. Who dictates the rate? Is that the union? And who pays all that, et cetera? 
the AMPTP. This is negotiated with every contract, and the contract lasts for about three years. I chaired the last animation so, contract. So the buyer ends up paying that fee on top of the twelve hundred, right? Correct. But that is that is negotiated. Right, that's the that Robo's pointing it out. That's right. It's called collective bargained agreements. It's not just, hey, we're a union. Want to pay our actors? No, you've got to be a part of the collective bargained group, be it commercials, narration, promo, animation, you name it. Every contract has a different uh, collective bargained agreement. And sometimes they cross-pollinate. For instance, I do a lot of voices for animated features. That's the TV theatrical contract, where TV basic cable is a different animation contract. But, but but what happens is is that whole network of, well, this is the rate, but this is the rate plus that, and you have to do this and that, it makes it so that you basically need a producer to handle all that paperwork and navigate all of that stuff. No, you need a paymaster, lose- a paymaster and SIG. No, you need a paymaster and SIG, and think of them like escrow. Think of them like escrow. But usually so there's a producer a who does it. No, no, no. A producer produces the film. The commercial you've got they've and, and they've got financial people we've got agents then we've got the escrow company which is the paymaster and the sig who's the middle person who makes sure that the producer is a part of the collective bargained contract and that the agent is a union agent and, and everything's done you know kumbaya so it's complicated and the and the non-union world doesn't deal with all this mishigash so what we're trying, what I'm trying to do with my proposal is, look, scale is 500 bucks. You're offering the actor 3,000. You got more than enough money to cover all these expenses. Don't even think. Don't do anything. Your life hasn't changed. This is now a union job. The actor gets paid everything. The agent gets paid. It goes into pension and health. And the buyer is oblivious to anything different other than saying, I want that actor for my job. So who's the person that gives the buyer the single price? So the buyer's not going like, oh, it was twelve hundred, but now it's fourteen hundred. That is to be determined by how the union figures out how to make this work. Because I think that's where the confusion is, where it's like the dot com click and buy thing. You're right. Yo, you're right, my friend. And and I and this is my message to the union. This is how the world has progressed. If you have a mouse and a computer, fix it. Don't by the way, the union when I proposed this, they said to me, how do you propose we charge for this? And how do we change our infrastructure for this? And how do we do this? And my answer to them was, you guys allowed over 20 years for 50 to 80% of the work to erode to non-union. Don't tell me how to fix your finances. I'm giving you the problem. You fix it. I, it's, it's true. I, I, um, I, I'm actually must join, but I remember how you know, the agencies never want to deal with Taft-Hartley. And so that's just a whole other barrier to things. And and it seems like if the... Yeah, here's the sad thing. When I got into the business, when I got in the business, everybody got in with a Taft-Hartley. I got in with a Taft-Hartley. It was common. That's the way to get in. That, or you got in because you joined AFTRA and you did an AFTRA job and a year later you, you were eligible for SAG. But once we took on SAG's qualifications, it became impossible to, to qualify, well, it, and then if you if you if you join, you're giving up your non-union career. It always seemed like a strange union to me, in a way, because the the goal of a union would be to increase its membership, and in reality, it always seemed like a very exclusive crowd that you can't get into. You're wrong. The goal of SAG and the goal of AFTRA was never to increase membership. The goal was to guarantee minimums and benefits and to make it difficult to get in so it kept the competition down. So you weren't auditioning with two billion other people. I used to go to voice casters in Burbank for a commercial audition and see that I was competing with 12 people. Once the internet uh, became a thing, I'm auditioning with 1,200 people for a simple little radio spot. And the thing is, technology continued, but the union did not continue to evolve with it, at least for voiceover. When it comes to CBS sitcoms or a movie for Paramount Pictures, it still works the way the union's antiquated infrastructure is. But for voiceover, it's totally different. Go back to the old days of SAG for on-camera and make after off-camera. You can't. You can't because we, we, we merged to begin with because our two pensions and health were dying. Because of digital technology, look, we had film and we had tape. That was the difference between SAG and AFTRA. And then we had digital. Both unions claimed jurisdiction on digital. And the contracts were being split and neither one was being uh, funded. 
for their pension and their and both pensions and health were dying. So we had to merge. But you guys, you got you must understand, if you do a voiceover something, that contract might live, might exist in a completely different collectively bargained agreement that also includes on camera. We're too homogenized. It seems to me the benefit that the union provided the the buyers was a consistent talent pool that was like professional. And what's happened That's is right. that the exclusivity of the union has pushed a lot of people out to build their careers outside of the union sphere. And now the buyers have realized that there really is a professional voiceover workforce force outside of the union. And now what's their benefit the in- for, yeah. for basically the- dealing with the red tape of the union and paying them in their special way and everything else? Well, and also you're not paying that extra amount on top. You're actually just paying for the service you're being provided and not for the admin that goes well, on you're, behind you're, you're often, Yeah, you're often paying less. They're often paying more and they don't know it. The infrastructure of the union made exclusivity obsolete because we, we're no longer the only game in town. When we were the only game in town where you had to go with a union talent, there was no other option. Even with the tiny percentage of FICOR, and, and union meant quality. It meant you're getting the best. Even at scale, you're getting the best. That doesn't mean the same thing today. It took many, 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 many years for the non-union talent to go, hey, we're good. And we live in markets where I'm used to making minimum wage at my day job and I just got 50 bucks to speak for 20 minutes. I've never imagined that much money in 20 minutes. That's what the union does not understand is that we have got a, a community of actors who are thriving based on value. Value is a very important word. My value of working union is not the session fee. My value is that when I retire, I will have 10 grand a month in pension. My value is I get scale for this job, but for the rest of my life, I get residuals. My value is that this union feature will get more union features. The non-union world never expected residuals, pension, health, a union feature. All they know is they're making a great living. They're doing good. And the union actually rejected them, shunned them, called them scum, called them scabs. You're FICOR, you're non-union. We don't want you. That was That was the strategy for many years and it worked until the internet took the voiceover industry and handed it to people, brought it to their homes electronically. And as the union was being warned about this, they said, can I give give you guys a quick story? I joined SAG in 1982. I was 18 years old. When you join SAG or SAG after today, you get to go to a new member orientation and it's fun. They introduce you to the president, all the staff, here are the phone numbers you need. And then they open it up to questions. And I said, so I'm 18. I live with my parents still. And my parents just got this little thing. It's like a wire that plugs into their TV. It's called HBO. It shows the same three movies over and over again. I don't quite know what the future is of HBO, but my gut tells me there is one. What does the union see? is the future of this wire called HBO. And the president of SAG said, how old are you, son? I said, 18. And he said, well, when you get to be my age, you will know that the only three entities you need to be concerned about when it comes to TV are ABC, NBC, and CBS. And I came home and I said to my parents, I think I'm in trouble. And lo and behold, with every advent from VHS to DVD to streaming to apps, we've lost out. Why? Because our union has never been one step ahead of technology. They've always tried to play catch up. I am 20 years in my proposal trying to play catch up. Do you hear my frustration, people? We do indeed. And understand. I've, I've seen this attitude with um, like the, the pay-to-play sites. And I was talking to a, a voice talent and I was saying, you know, you're doing well and you really shouldn't be doing those gigs because you can get paid more. And I, I forget what it was. Like, I think what we were talking about was like a radio gig that probably would have been, um, you know, played in a whole bunch of markets and worth five or 10 grand. And 
they were getting paid no, thousand no, dollars for no, it. No, 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 no. Here's the here's the problem. I was the voice of the McDonald's French fries for the Happy Meal spots for fifteen years. A bad month was thirty thousand dollars on a Class A spot. No, a lot of them are non-union today. Right, but the point was that he was saying I could have gotten paid a lot more from this, but I don't. But you tell me who makes a thousand dollars in a day, and that's I'll take the thousand dollars. Thank you very much. And he was happy with it. Like that was. It goes back to the word value. A thousand dollars a day is the lottery, as far as these people are concerned, and they've never lived the life of the actor who makes four hundred and something dollars to record the spot, and then thirty grand a month. They don't. They don't. They don't. Not only do they not relate to it, they don't think about it. They're not even concerned about it. And none of us, those of us that do Class A commercials, unless you're flow and progressive, we're not seeing that kind of money anymore because most of it's non-union. And even if it's union, it doesn't run the way it used to. So what's the answer? I have a proposal out. My proposal is an opportunity to stop the erosion and try to reclaim the work. If we can bring back 10% of the work, that means millions to the union. Many more union actors, pension and health, dues, initiation. It means money in many people's hands. Doing nothing, we will just see more erosion. And the union has done nothing. Nor do they have a plan to do something, nor have they addressed it. They kind of sort of don't want me to. They don't want me. To. The emperor has no clothes and I know it. And they don't, because this is going to affect every contract. But I, the truth of the matter is, yeah, it does. It should. So what? Now, I do know, just just running this by you, Bob, because I do know you have some vintage Hollywood actor friends. Have you run this by them? Well, here's the problem. If you're a vintage Hollywood actor friend... You're a celebrity making union work because you're a celebrity. This is for the working class voice actor. This is for the blue collar voice actor. And the blue class voice actor, when I was starting out, made six figures. That was just what a blue class voice actor made. I'll give you an example. Streaming cartoons have a better contract now than they did in the previous negotiation. I chair it. And the reason it's got a better contract is because we demanded it. I had talked to, I'm not going to mention names, I don't want to put them on the spot, but some celebrity friends who also produced these cartoons, who got other celebrities to do it because they sold them on the residuals. And I told the producers, here's the residual breakdown. And they're like, no, it's not. Yes, it is. No, it's not. Yes, it is. They thought it was the residual breakdown for primetime cartoons. And I said, well, that's not, that's not my fault. That's your fault for not doing your homework and we got their names and we got their backing and we got and we went look producers these people we've got their backing for a strike authorization we need a better deal and our deal on streaming better than any other union contract our animation contract is better than tv theatrical than the writers and the directors it's not fabulous but it's better why because i fought for it and my committee fought for it and the voiceover community fought for it. But if your question is, can't we get celebrities to speak for us? No, because a celebrity after a certain income don't benefit from being union. I don't know what the exact number is. I'm going to say for argument's sake, it's $2 million. After $2 million, your income isn't even declared to the union. Your pension and health isn't paid into. That's where the, the cap is for pension and health. So the union is afraid to turn to celebrities because, first of all, a lot of them are also producers. But we don't want to lose the celebrities when they realize, oh, my God, we don't benefit from this union, do we? It's complicated, you guys. Now, where can people find the petition out of interest? Uh, they can go to, um, I've got a, a Facebook page called LA, VO Actors, LA, LA Union VO Actors. Uh, they can find me on Instagram, bergen.bob, or Twitter, at Bob Bergen. Um, if they just contact me, I can send them to the to my to my Facebook page. You know, here's the deal. That petition, I'll tell you where we're at with the petition. I found this out today. Good timing, guys. I will be pitching this to the powers that be at the union in April. This has been a work in progress for years. It passed two uh, voiceover committees, local and national, two years ago. 
It was supposed to go to the finance committee. If it passed them, it was supposed to go to the board. For two years, nobody has returned an email or a phone call to me, and that's why I did the petition, and I made a lot of noise. And all of a sudden, lo and behold, I'm getting a meeting. Um... I don't know what's going to happen with this. I, honest to God, do not know what's going to happen with this. What I do know is I've got comments from agents of all shapes and sizes, actors, casting directors, to verify everything I'm saying as far as the percentage of non-union and how much money non-union pays. If this doesn't go anywhere at the union, I can go to my grave and say, hey, gang, I tried Thank you for trying with me. I wish you luck. But I need to at least try. What do you think of other, like, you know, industry groups that have tried to um, kind of pseudo-unionize within them? So uh, smaller groups like, I think, World Voices Organization, and there's probably a few others. Like, is there any place for them? Because there's, like, pockets of of people in the non-union world that maybe can, they're already organized a little bit. Yeah, what's fascinating about the Wovos of the world and all these little subgroups, I and I have I've grown, I have evolved. These are the people that have damaged our union the most. But these are the people who are more organized than we are. And the union shunned them and rejected them and called them scum for going FICOR if they were union. I want to embrace these people. I want to bring these people into the union fold. I want us to look at their business model. They have created a better, faster, smarter business model. They own the industry. They're not scabs. They're not scum. They're working professionals. And I want to bring them pension, health, residuals, lawyers to track down lost fees, etc. I want them to have the same benefits I do because they deserve it. Good goal. If nothing happens, I have a I have a bar full of so many wonderful bourbons and whiskeys. I don't care. <laughs> well, having said that, based on what you've told me about your earnings and your pension that's uh, not that far away, next time I see you... It is! It's a little far away! It's, it's, it's a little far away. I'm, I'm, I'm going to be 57. I'll be collecting a pension between 65 and 70. And the nice thing is, I have no desire to stop working. I love what I do, and I'm, I'm blessed. Again, I keep telling people, I'm not doing this incentive for me. I'm doing it for everybody else, and I'm making a lot of people pissed off at me, and I don't care. Good. Shaking it up. Well, that was really informative for me because I've looked from the outside in at your industry over there for a long time, and I'll be honest, it's confused the living shit out of me. So I think you might have shed some... I'll have to go back and have another listen, but I think you've shed some light on um, on a few things for me because I've really never really understood the way your system worked. It is bizarre. Well, I still don't know. I still don't know. So between you and... And by the way, again, <laughs> dude, thank you so much for all... For, you tried so hard. You were so patient. I mean, I, I, you must have... I don't know what your head looks like, but you must have torn out every strand of hair trying to figure out why the any. hell isn't this working. <laughs> there you go. Well, you know what? It was really interesting because um, it certainly taught me a lot about how the American industry works. That's for sure. And uh, I met some... It's not the American industry. It's, the, it's SAG-AFTRA. But it's yeah, not well, American. True. It's SAG-AFTRA. It's SAG-AFTRA. Do you know the first meeting and, I had it, in um, when I got over there? I went. I was in New York with um, with Jim, and we our first meeting was with SAG-AFTRA in New York. And we walked yeah. out, got in the elevator. We were heading down, and we looked at each other and went, "Yeah, we've got them. They're on our side. This is going to be good." Little did we know. Yeah. Well, I've been through that for twenty years, and you, they 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 tell you what you want to hear, and then nothing happens. And then you take another meeting two years later and they tell you what, what you want to hear and nothing happens. And yep. you know what? This was also, much of this was before social media where I am telling the world, he, I'm being transparent. I popped a note today on my LA Union VO Actor page. Here's what went down, people. And here's what they're trying to do and I'm not falling for it. And by the, they're pissed at me. They're so mad at me. And the agents around the country are going, oh, my God, you know what? We were going to close our doors in two months. We're going to keep them open just to see what happens. This is the first time I've heard that from agents. Yeah, well, it's um, – but I must admit, though, in the beginning, only 10 years – well, less than 10 years ago, a lot of the agents were – they were so head in the sand. They couldn't see what was coming. Oh, no, the agents absolutely saw what was coming. They just didn't know what to do about it. 
And the problem is SAG-AFTRA still thinks that they are the big players in the entire scheme of what the voiceover industry is. And they're not. But the, no. mo- the majority of the voiceover industry is not DPN, is not Atlas, is not SBV, is not CESD. It's the working class actor. But the working class actor used to be with these offices in L.A., New York, and Chicago. Now they're in Dayton, Ohio and Des Moines. And they've got a home studio and 50 bucks to speak for a half hour is more money than they've ever seen for an hour of work in their right-to-work state. It's technology and time that has changed, the, that has made the generation gap. Because, I mean, the fact is that Union could have owned the internet quite easily if they'd gone earlier. Correct. Ah, you're talking about two different things. It's the union that screwed us, not the individual agents. The individual True. agents, and especially the top agents who are still holding on to the top, top, we're talking the six-figure promo contracts and the animation contracts and the Class A commercial contracts. That's what that's what Jeff Danis and DPN is. That's what Atlas is. That's what CESD is. That's what uh, AVO is and uh, A3. We're talking the majors. What you and I are talking about that owns 50 to 80% of voiceover left the bigs and the bigs used to own the day-to-day that's the difference the bigs are still doing okay they're doing fine i want to bring everybody to the bigs everybody listening to this if you're used to making and working and calling your the people that hire you clients we don't call them clients that's what a service worker calls the people that hire them those of you who are making a great living if your work brought you pension health and residuals and a union representing to track down the money who's for the buyers who aren't paying you that's what i want to bring you without anything being disrupted other than guys 50 bucks a month for five years will this work i don't know but nothing is working right now so i'm going to try something yeah i like it I, i think it's a great idea and good on you for doing it because um there's a lot of people sitting on their hands you know wondering what to do next particularly the union how 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 the right to work laws kind of affected this whole scene? Well, the right to work laws mean that you can work both union and non-union work. I mean, I don't know how that. I I can't worry about that. I can only worry about how the union uh, adjusts. I can't worry about how the government adjusts. Not my concern. It's just like I told the union. I can't. When they say to me, "Well, how do we change our infrastructure to take fifty dollars a month for dues for five years when that's not our?" our business model. And I'm like, figure it out. You guys are the ones who ignored the internet. I'm giving you the problem. Figure it out. I'm not the COO of SAG-AFTRA. You've had one for 20 years. Figure it out. Yep. I'm a little passionate sometimes. Yeah, but I think you've got a right to be. I mean, looking from the outside in, I mean, Jesus. I mean, we're passionate here about sort of similar things in that work in a different sort of a way. You know, we've got companies that are charging... Fifteen dollars for a, a, a radio thirty-second radio spot and paying the voice talent five. Here's here's the thing. I really don't know what's going to come of this. I'm just going to give it a try. If nothing comes of if nothing comes of this, I cannot imagine that the union has a strategy or a plan that is as specific. Literally points out the problems and tries to address and fix. They just, they just haven't done that. And, and, and if they have something in five or 10 years to do, it's 50 to 80% now, it's going to be 60 to 90% non-union then. I, don't, I just don't. I think our window's really closing fast. Wait for AI to kick in. That opens oh, a whole don't new get can me started. Of worms, doesn't it? That's right. Yeah. Yeah, well, sure. And, and by the way, that, do, that does not affect the union world that much. If, it's a, if, they, if they lift something from a union job, they still have to pay the same rates. It's the non-union world that has to be afraid of that. There are no protections. And I'm not, I'm not concerned about voiceover work. I'm concerned about the celebrity and the politician where they manipulate them saying things that are going to, you know, cancel them. In culture, if somebody wants well, to lift a celebrity or a voice actor think, for a commercial, I think you've opened a can of worms there. Yeah, no, I haven't. They did. I'm just facing it. Yeah. <laughs> I think we've done a whole episode on this, haven't we? Remember? <laughs> yes, we have. <laughs> yeah, it's a killer. Yeah, but let's yeah. say if if ten percent of the work goes back to the union, then ten percent of the AI will not be affected. What's the like, what's the average rate difference between union and non-union work? Does anybody 
know this. That's like at saying all. like that's like saying what do French fries cost from restaurant to restaurant? Well, at McDonald's they're ninety nine cents. At Ruth's Chris they're twelve bucks. So it just depends on on the contract on the usage. There's there's no con there's no one price for everything. So so. It just depends. Like the same job, run union, run non-union, the same usage and the same, like everything the same. Literal difference is union versus non-union. What's the average rate difference there? There might be a a radio spot that pays, I'm going to make up a dollar amount, $500 scale, but a non-union buyer is going to pay you 800 bucks just to avoid the union bu- bureaucracy. There might be a non-union buyer that's going to pay 50 bucks to somebody in bumfuck Iowa because 50 bucks to them is rent. So there but is I don't no see, average. I don't see that's, any radio spots. I don't see any radio spots that in the union world would pay ten, twenty thousand $20,000 with a significant amount of usage across the whole country, not just like one area. So it really is something that generates a lot of residuals. And... On the flip side, non-union, it's like ten grand, maybe tops. Like it's not getting into that 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 those really upper pay ranges. I don't think non-union ever gets. And and well, but ten grand is a damn good payday for a commercial today because Class A doesn't pay as much as it used to. It doesn't run as much as it used to because because we have four maybe five networks and we've got hundreds of cable channels and cable doesn't pay as well. I did a bunch of spots that were all one eight hundred numbers. The each 1-800 number read was a separate session fee. And sure. then there was like trafficking of all of that. And this, like, it was like probably four hours in the booth. Um, it was well over like $40,000 in payment. Um, sure. And, and it, was just, it was just one of those things where now, now you see a lot of those 1-800 numbers and you wonder why it always cuts to somebody else because they, they'll cut in and like, they'll like, oh, we're just going to go non-union for all of that voice. Like, and no one's doing 1-800 numbers now. But there's, I, I think there's a certain degree that the union rates have, are contributing towards the exodus from the union hiring, to be honest, I, I think with some clientele. I don't think it's the rates as much as the process, the clunkiness the subsequent payments, the paperwork, the, the, the tracking, the accounting. You know, if, if somebody, if they say to somebody, look, here's the deal, it's going to run for 18 months, we're going to pay you 10 grand, flat out fee. Rather than scale is 800 bucks, we're going to keep track of every run or how many times it runs over 13 weeks or, you know, it, it, it's just an outdated um, business model. And after 20 years, the non-union buyers have found enough very talented people, agents, an industry where they 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 do it easier. Think about all the cost of tracking that stuff to decide how much they're going to pay, and then how many you know that that cost alone, if eliminated, could be more payment to the actors if it was a simpler model instead of like how many times did you air it, where exactly. Like other crazy union rules are, hey, this thing was recorded, and so now it has to be re-recorded. Um, but they just like like literally, I've re-recorded an actor, gotten the performance to be almost the same, and then in the end, the agencies like ship the old version, and then it's like, why did we do that? Because the contract required that the actor come back in and re-record it after four years. Why? Or you could, or or you could have just paid them a lift and and left it at that if you're going to keep the original. Some somehow that wasn't yeah. an option. Literally, literally, yeah, it, it wasn't an option. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. No, it's no. That's an option. All you gotta do is pay. It, listen, you you pay the actor the session fee, maybe even double double scale. It's covered, unless you have to change the dialogue. You do not have to physically have the actor record it. Well, we call that a rollover. Hmm. So yeah, exactly. But the bottom line is, we're talking about an infrastructure, uh, a business model, where if the majority of the industry doesn't operate that way then the union who still does is obsolete, antiquated, and they're the ones who have to change. There's a couple of issues, I think, though, Bob. There's one that is the unknown, and I think that scares a lot of people off. If they they pay for the session fee and then they have the zoning fees and all that kind of stuff. If it was a set fee, for instance, then all of a sudden you go... Well, they have that now. The union has... 
for commercials, they have that option for the buyers. So, look, they're trying, the union has been trying to work with this. I know you guys don't want subsequent payments. What if we have a buyout for this? What if we have a buyout for that? And a lot of producers with that option who have been working union for many, many years have gone back to the old way because they're used to it. And the newer yeah. people still aren't working union. So, no, this is, a, this is a learning curve for many, from the union to the buyers. But from my perspective, all I know is the majority of the voiceover industry is non-union. I don't care if a union contract pays you a million bucks an hour. If the majority isn't using it, who cares? And on, on another note, of course, when people say it's, you know, you're paying $25,000 for a TV spot that's going national, they think, well, that's a lot of money for the voiceover. Have a look at the media buy and the production costs for that TV yeah. commercial. Well, I mean, but you this know, is the thing uh, about the whole production how- industry is they always, they always make the people who contribute the list least pay the, the biggest, like, you know, take the biggest hit, for example. Like, um, if, if a video job comes in and the video budget's $10,000 and the audio budget's $1,000, they still go to the audio people and ask them to knock their budget in half. Yeah, it, it's which it's, is like a drop you know in the bucket. You know, it's like it's 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 called supply and demand. Who who is willing to say no? Yeah, true. And who and who is willing to say yeah? Sure, I'll do it because you know what? It, it's not the math doesn't work in my favor. But my God, I've got this job. I've got another job in the afternoon. I've got another job tomorrow. It'll all add up, and that's what's happening with the non-union voiceover world. Well, we can only wish you all the best on this one, and uh, hopefully you get some success with the union. This show was mixed by Voodoo Radio Imaging. Edit by Andrew Peters. Using Rode Microphones and Source Connect Now. Tech support from George the Tech Whittem. And supported by Harlan Hogan's VoiceOverEssentials.com. The home of the Portabooth Pro. You're the